Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, I want to remind you that there is a website here with Wealth Formula Podcast called wealthformula.com where you can get all sorts of resources at your fingertips, including my best selling uh, book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth which you can also get by simply texting 44222 and typing in Wealth Formula, one word. Now, I also want to point out that there is an event coming up, which I think, I know that many of you would really benefit from, and there's a few spots left. It's our next Wealth Formula meetup in Dallas, Texas, September 27th and 28th. It is a meetup that will include lectures from from very smart people, including Tom Wright, Doug Laudmel, and uh, Dave Steele. Uh, we're also going to do a tour, a bus tour of the Dallas real estate multifamily market. And then we're going to have cocktails the night before the cocktails the night after. And probably the biggest thing is just getting to know one another because this is a tremendous community. Those of you who came to the event last year, last uh, last spring, I should say, uh, are aware of this. In Scottsdale, it was a really, really good time and people really enjoyed it. So Check it out, wealthformulaevents.com, and hopefully you can make it out there. I want to uh, move forward with today's show. It's a little bit more serious in nature. You see, uh, I was in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago uh, visiting my parents with my family. We go there once a year. You know, I take my little girls out there, and they see grandma and grandpa, and they hang out in the house. And we hang out, in the, you know, we stay in their basement. It's, it's always kind of a nice little tradition we have. We were, uh, so we had a good trip and everything was fine um, until the, you know, the night before and I was sitting in a recliner talking to my parents and decided to call it a night and I, and I got up out of this recliner and suddenly something seemed very, very wrong. It was like, I felt like I was in a dream. Like I, I could not keep a thought and my whole body started to feel very heavy and I, um, I made it down the stairs and I saw my wife getting ready for bed. So I, I went and I sat down on the bed and I started to lie down. And as I was lying down, I started to feel like I was losing consciousness. So I lean over to my wife and I'm like, Olivia, you got to call 911 here. Something is really wrong. And so I explained to what was going on. She's all confused. She calls 911. And the next thing you know, a couple of, you know, the, a couple of really horribly uh, out of shape paramedics show up. Of course, feeling safe at that point, right? My elderly parents also come down the stairs. Um, the whole thing is totally surreal. My mom's sitting there terrified. Uh, they, you know, I, I end up getting loaded up in the ambulance. My mom takes a bad spill on the stairs as she's coming up because she's freaked out. Um, and as a physician, of course, 
I am trying to figure out what the heck is going on, right? So I get loaded up in this uh, ambulance and, you know, I have no chest pain. Um, you know, my vital signs appear to be normal. I was maybe a little short of breath, but the biggest thing was I couldn't stand up. My body was tingling all over and I had this horrible impending sense of dooms. And for those of you who are physicians, you know, this, uh, impending sense of doom is kind of something of a, um, you know, when you hear patients say you got to take it seriously because it's usually bad. Anyway, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew, or at least I thought I knew it couldn't be good. So as the ambulance, you know, starts taking me to the uh, university medical center, and uh, they were taking me there in particular because they had a stroke center there, and they thought maybe I was having some kind of a brain event. Um, because, you know, the biggest thing was I was just, you know, mentally something was going on with me too. Um, so while I'm in this ambulance. I am absolutely terrified of losing consciousness because I literally am thinking if I fall asleep, if I, you know, if I lose consciousness, I'm never going to wake up again. So, uh, you know, I'm trying really hard to stay awake. I'm trying and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about my wife and kids and, um, you know, the things that come into your mind at that moment, you know, I mean, you're like, gosh, this is the last time I saw them. Is it the last time when they closed the door I ever saw outside? Um, but the things that really started to freak me out were I'm starting to think, wait a second, did I set up my family? Well, did I take care of them? Um, I mean, Christian and Rod were finalizing, a, a significant, larger, uh, well formula banking life insurance policy for me that was lacking just one little thing, my signature. I, I just put it off. I just I hadn't signed it. And it was like, you know, it's not like it was sitting there for weeks, but it was a few days and I could have just signed it and sent in money, whatever. Um, so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I can't believe this. If I had just taken that taking care of that a day earlier, my family, I mean, I wouldn't be worried about this at all. I mean, it was like a, you know, a big, much bigger sum. And now I'm sitting there thinking about what I actually had from before. And will that be enough? I mean, it, was, it wasn't like I hadn't done anything, but it was clearly in my mind, nowhere near what they should have. I also started wondering about, you know, how my wife would ever know about all of these investments. I mean, I'm I haven't done a very good job of keeping her in the loop on the basic stuff. And just imagine, in her case, she's got all this other, you know, there's these crazy amounts of different private placements, et cetera, enough to mention the crypto accounts. What a nightmare, I'm thinking to myself. And, and that's just the investing stuff, right? There's also this whole thing that goes in my head. What about, you know, what is up here? I'm thinking, all that deferred gratitude, was it really worth it? You know, would it have really have heard if I'd splurged on that vintage Ferrari that was uh, on my bulletin board for the last two or three years? Or, or, or if I'd splurged a little bit less on the 1967 Lincoln convertible that I've been that I was looking at and then passed up at the last minute because I'm thinking I'll buy more Bitcoin. I mean, all those years of hard work coming down to these last few hours. That's what I was thinking. And all I could think about was how I didn't adequately take care of my wife and kids, at least up to the point where I would have liked to. And, uh, you know, with life insurance in particular, and frankly, the cars I didn't buy, right? The things, the toys, the things I wanted to do, et cetera. So I get to the hospital. They put me through a myriad of tests, right? And the good news is they seemed to rule out anything big and bad. And at that point, I still didn't feel well, but I started to think, well, maybe maybe, maybe I pulled through on this one after all. 
I'm thinking right now, maybe it's 50-50. When I'm in that ambulance, I'm thinking 90% chance, 80% chance this is it. Um, then after a few hours of test, uh, you know, they didn't find anything. I got my head scanned. There was no bleeding or anything like that in there. Um, they couldn't really figure anything out. So they gave me a bunch of fluid and I started to feel normal again. And as it turned out, the whole thing was a big false alarm because when we went back and th looked through what had happened the entire evening, the only thing uh, that was out of the ordinary was probably about 30 or 40 minutes before I got up, I took a medication which I'd never taken before. And as it turned out, it was like a bad reaction to that medication. So anyway, I started to feel normal. The, the, the fluid seemed to wash everything away. I spent the night at the hospital, but uh, fortunately, the next morning, you know, my three little girls popped into the room and we went home. I felt really, really grateful for being alive and seeing the little faces again. And for the next few days, I was on a bit of a high and really grateful for everything around me. And of course, as soon as I could, I signed those life insurance documents and made sure and I vowed to make wealth formula banking an even more important aspect of my personal portfolio. Now, you have to ask yourself, and I don't know if you've done this. I certainly hadn't. What would you be thinking if you were convinced uh, all of a sudden that you're going to die in a few hours? I mean, listen, it can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone, old or young. You know, Tyler Jenks, older guy, but he was on my show a couple of times, you know, even recently in the last month or so. Died suddenly a couple weeks ago. He was on Twitter posting videos uh, just a day or two before it all happened. Uh, you know, totally normal post from Tyler about, you know, Bitcoin and the markets, et cetera. The next thing you know, he's gone. There was no indication from those videos at all that there was anything wrong with him. And what about all those, you know, mass shootings that keep happening? No one expects it. It just happens, right? It's just bad luck. Not everyone gets to, quote unquote, stress test their sudden death. And I found uh, that I was lucky uh, that I got to do that. And I was getting another chance to make sure that I, I didn't feel it again. And most of us never really think about mortality, despite the fact that it remains the only guarantee in life. And you may think of it as depressing, as a depressing topic, but I have to say that it's critical that we keep it in mind, probably to live a more full life than anything else. So anyway, I thought this whole experience was incredibly powerful and I wanted to figure out how to, you know, help others with it too and, and maybe pass on some of the information uh, that I feel like I got from this horrible experience, which I do not recommend. Uh, so I asked my friend, uh, Dr. Colleen Crowley, to come on this week's Wealth Formula podcast and she will give it to us straight after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate. 
one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest in Wealth Formula Podcast is Dr. Colleen Crawley. She's been a licensed therapist for 20 years. She's helped individuals with a wide variety of issues um, as a licensed therapist. And she's based in Santa Barbara here in a, in a good friend of mine and, and of our families. And one of her niches is in the high paid professional, high net worth uh, entrepreneur area. She's been on the show before and she was a big hit. And given my recent uh, brush with uh, mortality, I thought it would be a good, uh, Colleen would be the perfect person to discuss this and how we can apply this potentially to our lives. So welcome back, Colleen. How are you? I'm great, Buck. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances where you, <laughs> you well, die. well, we will. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we don't need to be totally serious about it. Uh, Obviously, I'm here. I'm not being, um, I'm not uh, particularly, uh, I just came back from the YMCA, actually, if you can tell. Um, you know, you know, my YMCA stories, um, uh, Colleen, I often end up with, uh, in battle with octogenarian naked men in the sauna. And, um, and uh, you know, it was uh, one of those days where I escaped that, uh, that battle. No battles. <laughs> that's, that's a success. There's always, but, tomorrow. <laughs> there's always tomorrow. So um, let's back up a little bit about you. You've been on before, but for, you know, it's been a while and we always have a bunch of new listeners. So, you know, you obviously have been, you know, a therapist uh, and, and um, licensed therapist to helping a lot of people for a long time. Um, but one of the things we talked about is you do have this, uh, one of your niches is interesting and in that it's really with sort of highly successful um, professionals, entrepreneurs. Is that because you were in Santa Barbara or how did, how did that end up being one of your, your areas? Um, you know, what's interesting is now midlife is a really rich time for self-examination. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of people in that phase of life, uh, coming in to explore themselves, which is really exciting. So it's just a, it's a fertile time for self-exploration and seeking out a therapist. I have talked to lots of corporations and CEOs and CFOs and heads of hospitals and guest lecturer there. And so then that turns into sort of a, a them referring to their colleagues, their peers. And so it's, while I, I treat a little bit of everything and I've been practicing long enough to yeah. see a lot of it, uh, there is there is that that um, group that's sort of a, a prominent part of my practice, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think uh, one of the nice things about having those kinds of niches is uh, from the perspective of a patient, um, you know, you can, you, you know, the more experience you have with a, a given cohort, the more you can sort of, uh, you know, add value. Um, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's great. And, and, you know, I think, uh, 
Uh, we've talked a lot about these kinds of midlife issues and, and things like that, um, sort of just as an interest of mine, because, you know, um, I, I like to talk about holistic wealth sometimes too, not just about the money part. But so um, I want to focus kind of on what happened to me and sort of tra- take this as a, you know, a, a potential learning thing for all of us. So you, you heard about what happened and it, you know, it got me, um, to think more and more about this topic of near death experiences, how to react to them, et cetera. Um, of course, uh, people, you know, you, you've been around people who get sick earlier in life than expected. Um, I think that we can learn a lot from these experiences. Um, what are some of the takeaways from those kinds of patient experiences that, that you've, you've witnessed or maybe that are common themes? Yeah, so I think you're right. I mean, whether it's a near-death experience similar to what you had or, you know, uh, a terminal illness, a diagnosis where um, all of a sudden there's a pretty radical shift in paradigm of how you sort of view life. Uh, As much as you're going to hate me saying this is I love oftentimes when um, people come in following those experiences because Mm -hmm. they're um, really... Um, experiencing a pretty profound shift in their consciousness and their reality. Um, I, I often hear the same quote. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it, which is following either a near-death experience or a, a very scary diagnosis is it's the best and the worst thing that's happened to me. Yeah. Right. Because it's, it's, it's like an awakening, right? It's an awakening because a lot of us, particularly in the you know, who are high achievers, um, especially those who are grinding it out, you know, like say in the hospital 50 hours a week or whatever, there's very little time for self-reflection. And, 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 you know, um, and listen, I'm not even one of those guys who grinds it out necessarily, but I find myself all of a sudden, like noticing that I've gotten older. (laughs) Absolutely. And and this goes back to this topic, Buck, which is, you know, a Buddhist quote, which is the trouble is we think we have time. Right. And I think that that's what those experiences do is it's a radical shift in the illusion that we have time. And what I deal with, whether it's a terminal diagnosis or a near death experience is what's interesting is in therapy, I'm sort of dealing with this concept of shifting your relationship to that illusion, right? To, right. to be more present, right? To be mm-hmm more fulfilled in uh, a daily sort of existence and reality because what the human condition does is is it creates this sort of reality of happiness is outside of this given moment it's when i achieve this when i reach this goal when this happens mm-hmm. which so robs us of the moment at hand and um, our quality of life so whether it's a near-death experience or what I always say to people is it's, it's rarely ever the issue. After 20 years of practicing as a therapist, people walk through my door with every issue under the sun, right? And it's, right. it's rarely ever about the issue. It's, it's always about our relationship to it. And so what you experienced was a little taste of that, was mm-hmm. how you're relating to life and how that can profoundly shift how then, in fact, you begin to move through life differently. Two of the, you know, two of the main concerns, you know, I had in that ambulance ride, one of them we don't need to really talk about because it's really mostly financial. And I think that's a show in and of itself is how you, 
how you make sure that you wrap things up and put a bow on them for any period of time. You know, and I was talking about insurance and, and things like that. The other thing um, I think is an incredibly common uh, theme, I would think, which is the disappointment that I didn't, you know, really have enough fun, right? Like, like the, the, the ultimately what it comes down to. So there's this, and you could, you could probably tell us that experiment, you know, the experiment with highly successful, um, you know, people as children and they get tested and delayed gratification. And those who ex- show delayed gratification tend to become higher achievers. Right. I mean, um, do you want to, you want to tell that? Uh, do you know that story offhand? <laughs> I don't know what that's. There's a study. Yeah. I'm familiar with what you're talking about. I'm yeah. curious about because you're you're talking about when you your experience was you're in that ambulance ride and you're thinking to yourself as an overachiever, right? Why didn't I buy the 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 well, car in real time that would have provided me a yeah. little bit of joy? And I can't tell you how frequently I see that in those experiences, right? Which is mm-hmm. um, and yes, in in a subset of the population that's really good at you know, working hard and putting their head down and deferring some gratification, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there you were realizing, man, I'm not so sure I should have done that, right? And I think that's what I see so much, right? Is this this breaking down of today is all I have. This moment is all I have. Rip, uh, yep. And, and yep. how to embody moving through the world in, in that way. And I think you're referring to the marshmallow test. Did you see that? With that's right. That's what I, yeah. yeah. Will you remind us what that was? Cause that's kind of what I'm getting. So, I mean, there's various ways of sort of, you know, measuring this. They do it in children and they, mm-hmm. um, they painfully, um, I want to sort of as accurately as possible, get it right. You can look it up. It's hilarious. But they, I think they leave kiddos alone in a room with a marshmallow, sometimes alone, sometimes with a friend possibly. And they tell them to not eat the marshmallow. And I can't remember the, I think it basically it's like if they don't eat the marshmallow, they get two marshmallows later, right? right. And so you see this like really in very young children sort of thoughtful yeah. sort of process and this negotiating of, oh man, if I have it now, what does that mean? Or can I right, right. You know, variation in what people do. You know, I like to think it's sort of a one slice of an examination of sure. No, I agree. I agree. But, you know, why, why in the heck don't you just eat the marshmallow, I think is sort of the metaphor here or the concept. Well, about, I right? think that the net result of that, what I was getting at was that, um, and again, we're talking about this esoteric test, but the idea was what they, what they measured was the kids who ultimately waited and for that, you know, delayed gratification, you know, fast forward 10, 20 years were more successful financially, um, than, than the kids who did not express delayed gratification, the ones who went straight for the marshmallow. Yes. And so, so I think the, um, I think we're a, uh, as a, as a cohort of, you know, successful professionals, particularly, you know, doctors, engineers, et cetera, these sort of people who've been in school for a long time, we're all kind of, we're those, def- we're those, uh, people who wanted the, the, the two marshmallows. Right. right. And so right. we've, been um we've shown ourselves uh, as success the real question in my mind goes back uh to the idea of those kids and saying okay well the the kids who waited for the extra marshmallows they 
They were more successful. But who was more happy? <laughs> you know? Exactly. And what's so interesting is I'm right. getting, you know, then I treat the kids who waited for the two marshmallows. Right. Where it gets really interesting is right. they're coming in looking for um, so much of their life goals have been achieved, whether it's financial or professionally, right? Mm-hmm. But they're, they're lacking a huge component of just joy or mm-hmm. meaning, right? Or levity, right? And I think that that's, um, again, you know, what, what I see so much in people who've had this paradigm shift through a life-changing event similar to what you have, right? So, and is there, it's, it's, it's so important to examine that, like I said, because what I start to see is a lot of pretty intense levels of depression in this sort of midlife category. What is really exciting is, you know, 30 years ago, and you and I have talked about this, it used to be an affair and a Corvette or a Porsche, right? And now it's, it's, it's exciting to see people doing, you know, a little bit sort of more existential and, um, consciousness raising to find meaning in Mm -hmm. in a different way. And I also want to go back to you sort of brushed by the first thing that you kept thinking about, which was, did you perfect, you know, prepare your wife and your, you know, family for your ultimate demise. And that's also by and large, the biggest thing I see is not so much the preparing, but what I think you were thinking about Buck was, um, your relationships, right? And and mm-hmm. and the people you love most, and are they okay? Yeah. Right? And that is, without question, probably the biggest thing I see is meaning, right? What does my life mean? Is it um, what I have wanted to cultivate for myself? And also, how are my relationships? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to reach out to? Who should I have gotten rid of a long time ago? Yeah. Um, I think that almost, uh, you know, what's interesting to me is that like, I think there's, there's probably a difference in terms of the types of things you think about when you're in an acute situation, like where you're literally in my situation, it was not like, you know, chronic illness, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have lots of time to think about this stuff, but for me, it was like more like, okay, (laughs) you know, my, this is funny, but my, my, I was talking to my brother, my brother's, um, my brother's like 51 and, uh, you know, uh, we, we were joking around about this afterwards. I mean, he was, he, he thought it was, you know, something was going on too. And we were both worried. And, and, um, I told him on the phone, I said, you know, uh, I really thought I was toast. I mean, I thought it was history. And he's like, yeah, like, uh, and he goes like Sanford and son when the, <laughs> when Mr. Sanford says, Oh, this is the big one. And I'm like, yeah, listen, you and I are like old enough to know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> right. That's so funny. But it's true, right? And he's as old right. as Sanford and Sons. And you Right. But he said but the bottom line is the the but the issue is that like it was like, okay, I thought two hours. You know, I thought if I fell asleep I wouldn't wake up. Like if I felt like if I let myself go, I wouldn't wake up. And right. so in that moment, very much I was like, my my thing was, gosh, all right, the finances, all right, I'm, I'm thinking about my kids and family, but very practical standpoint, what did I do? Where, where are they going to be? Um, and so that's probably different from necessarily if you had somebody said you had, you know, you had a year or something like that. Or, Without question. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, for instance, yesterday I had a patient who has a diagnosis um, that's 
dramatically affecting his cognition, right? Mm-hmm. With sort of no cure um, and no real treatment. And, right. and so what he wants to be doing right now is conveying thoughts to his wife and his two sons and his three granddaughters, everything that he feels. Because while he's young in his body and healthy, um, it's clear that there's he's going to be compromised going forward. And so right. he's doing this sort of systematic evaluation of conveying everything that he wants to, and he has more time, right? You didn't feel like you had that time in that ambulance. So I think you're right. It, it just, it depends on where you are um, or how dire it feels. But, but the real question is, is how do you, and maybe you're going to get to this, is how do you embody that without a near-death experience, right? Or a terrifying diagnosis. Yeah, and I think that is, um, so a couple things, you know, when, I, when I told you about this, one of your questions for me was, well, you know, how do you feel now? And this was, you know, we, we, I think we talked like, it was like two weeks after it happened or something. And I told you the first few days, I was like super, you know, I don't know, I felt enlightened, you know? Like I felt like everything was... Um, Everything was better. Everything was just, you know, gratitude for everything. But then I think probably because of the acute nature of the whole thing, my brain just went back into the same old thing. And then, you know, I was convinced I was going to go, you know, that I was going to grab one of those cars and I came home and I'm like, I don't know about that. I got to, you know, the tax implications and all the stuff came back immediately. And sadly, in my case, I think I kind of just regressed back. And so, you know, part of it is trying to understand how do you bring that out in yourself uh, to, you know, because I, you know, like I said before, in, in, in the intro, the, um, the, the advantage I had is, is something that very few people get, which is to, to stress test your own imminent demise, right? Like, if that happens and you truly believe it ha- it's happening, uh, then you will get in, in tremendous clarity on your situation. How do you make that happen without without the trauma? Yeah, I mean, what, if only we could bottle what you felt, Buck, right? Um, and, no one would buy it, Cole. And, oh, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, you were you were more conscious, yeah. right? You were yeah. more enlightened. You were more self aware. You were more present in that ambulance, albeit terrifying, sort of ride to the hospital. And that is, in fact, I mean, you know, what we're all striving for, right, is consciousness Mm -hmm. raising, right, across the planet individually. And you had it for a second. And even though it sort of has quickly, um, you know, left you, I would argue that you still had a taste of it, which is extremely valuable. And look, enlightenment takes practice, right? So what I, what I tell people is everyone wants to sort of come into therapy and feel better, right? Feeling better requires a practice and a dedication, right? And feeling better generally comes from being more embodied, right? Anxiety is caused by chronically living in the future, right? What if this happens? What if I don't do this? What if I, you know, this happens? And depression is, is often sort of living in the past, right? Is why did things not go as planned? Why did I do that? Um, which again, robs you of the current moment. In that ambulance ride, you had a, 
a very sort of clear moment of being in the present. And the work is to get back to that as much as you possibly can. And that's a practice, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't sort of say, I want to be really good at tennis and then not practice tennis, right? You can't say, I want to be more mindful, right? Or more enlightened or more, more conscious and then not practice it. Um, and so I think you have to sort of commit yourself to um, achieving what you felt in that ambulance yeah. ride. Um, because you're, as you know, your neural pathways are well-formed. And so we're trying to create new ones for you, mm -hmm. but it's been easier for you to just go back to the familiar ones. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the um, there's two things, obviously one is uh, you could practice by, you know, trying to recreate that situation. I don't know how you do that, but I mean, I, I think it's probably at least from a financial perspective, it's a good exercise to put yourself in that situation and see, you know, what, how have you prepared everybody? Are you satisfied if, to, you know, if today was your last day, that's a, it's a very wise thing to do because I think when you look at all of these, you know, things that just happen and, you know, uh, you interviewed a guy a couple of times, uh, even the last month I had him on or a month or two and he died suddenly, um, you know, Tyler Jenks. And then there was a, you know, and then you look at these mass shootings that are happening and things happen, Right. And so uh, there's an illusion, I think, for all of us, otherwise we would go crazy, that, 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 there's, that today or tomorrow is not the last day. And eventually it will be the last day. And so you have to make that kind of thing. Now, from the long-term perspective, psychologically, I'm guessing, and I know this for a fact, that you're a big advocate of, of meditation, and um, which I have to admit I am a huge advocate for, but it has been just terrifically difficult for me to figure out when to do it at this right. point. Talk about the benefits. Um, talk about, you know, it's the worst, you know, it's just completely ironic when you say, you know what, I'd love to meditate, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yes. I, and to be clear, I, how I like to think of it is, is meditation is just, the exercise to prepare and reinforce the practice of being mindful. Does that make sense? And all, all being mindful means is being in your body and in the present moment, which is the single most life-changing thing any of us can do to increase a sense of well-being, consciousness, and quality of life. So explain how that works. I mean, you're, I mean, you're not, I think what you're saying, you're, you're differentiating from saying, okay, listen, it doesn't have to be a, um, you know, a type of meditation, but it, you know, it may be, you know, in practical purpose, how do you practice that? Is that like, you know, multiple times a day, you just, you, you try to just stop for a moment and think, Hey, I'm here and I see this and this is, this book is green and I touch this book and this is how it feels and this food tastes the way it does. I mean, is there, how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. And see, so just listening to you, I love it, Buck, because like, it's so, it's so cerebral. <laughs> <laughs> right? like, the work is always to get sort of in your body and out yeah. of your head. And so to explain how, what I always say is, is meditation is um, just sort of teaching you how to get out of your head and into your body. And then, 
you know, when you sit in the lotus position and say ohms, right? But then the work is to not get out of that 50-minute yoga class and go be totally unconscious through the rest of your life. It's to remember how it was like you were in that ambulance, like you were possibly in the yoga class of being in your body. So I've been practicing this with people for so long that I don't really meditate anymore, but what I do do is encourage people to be vigilant about their breath, right? Because like while I'm talking to you, Buck, I'm vigilant about being in my body and paying attention to my breath. And that in turn grounds me into the present moment and doesn't let me spin off into, did I do that? What do I have to do? What if that doesn't happen? What if my, you know, kiddo, this, that, does that make sense? So it's- yeah, it does. For someone like you, where I hear it so often, it's so hard. It's so hard to meditate. I'm like, you're, you're attempting to do it um, in perhaps the wrong way. What I say is it should feel good. It should feel like you have less to do, right? It's just a process of slowing down and becoming embodied, which all ties into this concept that we're talking about of living in the present moment. Like there's not a tomorrow right? Um, and that radically shifts, like I said, one's well-being and, and quality of life. So I, I, go ahead. You know, I, I, I think I, um, you can talk about like how it feels to be present and stuff. And, and um, I know what you're talking about. And you tell me if, uh, if this is kind of what the way you think of it too. But I always think about like, when I was a kid, Right. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, when I was like 10 years old or 12 years old or 11 or whatever, I wasn't thinking about, you know, um, where I was going to invest or how I was going to defer time. I was, I was just thinking about playing, right. Who's, who's, who's going to play and who's, you know, who wants, who's up for a game of, uh, you know, of hockey. And, um, and, and then while you're playing that game to be just engrossed in that game, nothing else really matters. And that is a that's a feeling that is very very difficult um, to for for I think for some people as they get older and they become professionals and they you know they're in this other world now to to recreate. I get it when I watch football games now. I get that when I'm watching like football games and I can't fast forward it if it's in real if it's live. I get it. I get that kind of sensation then, but it's it'd be nice to be able to translate that to more of life. Because what's going on for you in that moment where you're watching a football game and you're so engrossed? I'm only, I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment, right? Cause I can't fast forward and I need to know what's happening next. And it's all a drama before my eyes that I can't like, um, yeah, I'm living it right at that minute. Right. Yep. Um, and that people like, can you think of one time, in your life, right? Or when you most consistently feel that kind of feeling, right? Um, yeah. A lot of times it's a physical activity yep. um, because people can't afford to be sort of living in the past or in the future. They're right in the moment and they, you know, we live in California, right? Oh, it's when I'm surfing, right? Oh, it's, you know, when I'm on a run on the cliffs or a hike, whatever that looks like. And it's because you're so radically in that moment. And I want to be clear because people, you know, come back with a, well, how can you always live in the moment? I mean, you have to plan for your future. And I realize your, you know, your podcast listeners are, are doers and achievers, but 
you can plan and goal set so long as you're conscious, right? We get disconnected and live in our heads and ignore our bodies, right? And so you can be really grounded while you're goal setting or achieving, if that makes sense, right? But it's not that that goes away. It's just shifting how you move through the world, Um, which is, as I said, I mean, where where there's the biggest hope for a shift in well-being um, and what people who have near-death experiences or a terminal illness have um, a really sort of intense dose of that shift consciously. Right. Um, what do you, what would you say, I mean, aside from, you know, these relationships and delayed gratitude like what are some of the other takeaways just so that, you know, people can maybe start to think about the things that, you know, maybe they're not thinking about right now, but some, what are some of the other uh, themes that come up um, with, yeah. with people who are in this situation or who are starting chronic illness or something like that? So obviously health is one of the biggest, right? Yeah. So what I hear about so much is this, you know, human body we were given, I didn't either appreciate it. I hear a lot about not appreciating it, right? And valuing it. I hear a lot about mistreating it, right? I didn't, you know, treat it as well as I should have, appreciate it as well as I should have. Um, I also want to encourage people that, you know, your body is the biggest informant about your well-being, right? So dis-ease, right? That, that word comes from you know, your body being imbalanced. So to pay attention to what it's saying, if you have back pain, if there's tension in your shoulders, if you have chronic headaches, I mean, these are oftentimes things that bring people into my office. And the work is to try to figure out, you know, what the psychological underpinnings of those are that are causing that. So health is a huge one. Meaning, right? Am I, you know, there's been a lot of research on it's, People are looking for happiness, but ultimately what sort of people report brings them the greatest quality of life is finding meaning. And so that's what I see a lot in these high paid midlife individuals is, okay, I kind of did everything for parent approval or cultural approval, but now I'm finding myself sort of examining what I want life to look like and where I'm going to find value and meaning. Um, Relationships are a huge one. Are they healthy? Have you said everything you want to say? Um, are there things you need to clear up? Are there things you need to initiate? Um, and worry. I think worry is, you know, I see people walk in after these events just saying like, I cannot believe the hours I have spent worrying about either what I did or what's going to happen because it's such a waste of time. Yeah. Um, those are probably some of the, some of the biggest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so I am quite sure that there are people out there who are listening to this saying, gosh, these are some of the things I would love to talk to somebody about, but I have no idea who to turn. No idea. Um, you know, if there's somebody out there who's a professional who's used to people like me, and obviously you're one of them. So if they want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? So I have um, uh, a website. It's Dr. Colleen Crowley, 
com, and I think all my contacts on there. Um, and, you know, I just encourage everybody, bucket, enlightenment or consciousness raising is a really personal process. Yeah. You know, I, even, I hesitate even telling people how to get mindful because I think it's, it's, um, it's really individual. Just mm-hmm. kind of get curious about it, right? Sort of pick up a book, look at a podcast, listen to a meditation app, and just sort of see how you can sort of begin to wake up to this process. Mm-hmm. Um, the single biggest thing you can do is just keep getting in your body, right? Yep. Check in with your breath. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of professionals out there as well that, that can help you. Um, not as good as you, though. No, come, come on. on. You're just biased because we're friends. <laughs> okay, well, Colleen, listen, I um, we're going to put the website, uh, it'll be in the show notes, obviously, and please, uh, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there I know who struggle with these issues who just, you know, it's, it's not a sickness, it's like a guidance, right, at some point or another. Um, you know, it's good to have somebody to talk to, so Colleen would be a fantastic person to check out. So, but, hey, um, Buck, before we wrap up, I'm going to yeah. ask you. Sure. Uh, therapist what do you intend to do to try to cultivate this feeling you experienced in the ambulance and yeah. integrate it more into your daily life yeah. well it's a good question because it, like i said there's a there's a few things that i sort of um one is that i'm having trouble kind of uh, getting back to you know trying 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 to bring the urgency back but yeah. um there's a couple things that are going on i think one is like i am a little bit paranoid right now about like any little things that are going on and I'm like I gotta eat better and you know do this I mean even though none of what happened to me was related to you know an actual real health problem it was like a reaction right but but um so now like and then like I'm a little paranoid whenever I feel like a little twingy or something like that I'm like what is that what is that um yeah so so I'm a little paranoid hopefully that'll go away but then the um the other thing is, though, I mean, for me, I have been thinking a lot about, you know, there there is something lacking for me in in terms of that, you know, I used to be a surgeon, right? So um, I am a surgeon. And one of the times when I used to get that feeling of being present was when I was operating. So, I, you know, when I'd operate, you know, you can't really be anywhere else. And I enjoyed it. And I was there in the minute. It was almost sort of like I was, I hate to make it seem like this, but it was like a video game or something, right? I mean, I was doing, you know, it was like focus was heightened, and you yeah, 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 right. And time would fly by, and then I would finish when I'd finish like a, a a case, and even you know, back in residency, it would be like seven or eight or nine hours or whatever, and doing this case, it would fly by, and then at the end, you'd get the sense of completion and satisfaction. And mm-hmm. in what I do now, as much as I love the, uh, you know. Uh, process of, of picking things apart and looking at them analytically there there is not a start and finish and I think that that creates um, a void for me uh, of feeling uh, feeling like that sense of mm-hmm. accomplishment do you know I don't know if that makes any sense a hundred percent sure I right. mean it was a discreet beginning and end in surgery right yeah it was I mean, a dis- and then I did something that was very clear for that day. Right. It was very clear for that day. It had a beginning and ending. Yeah. Uh, it was a problem. I fixed the problem. Right. <laughs> that and kind of thing. Box, right. 
Yeah. And I don't want to practice because of a lot of other baggage that goes along with being a surgeon, but trying to find something to replace that void is probably something that I need to, that I'd, I'd like to do. And I just haven't figured out what that is yet. Yeah. And I mean, to really sort of push you on this, I mean, the fantasy is that you begin to move through life like you're always in surgery, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. feeling of being that radically present all the time. Right. That's the challenge, right? Because again, you're still sort of looking for an activity to allow you to be present. Do you see? As opposed to like, oh, wait, I'm present right now. Yeah. And I think the, I think the activity though is the, is a tool uh, to sharpen that. And I think because what it is, is, um, but I think it's very, you know, like for some people who are meditating and they can get into that state. I think the state for me, if I'm doing something like that, it continues, uh, you know, it has a, a lasting sure. thing. Yeah. Right. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think it, you have this, you know, sort of challenge of, of cultivating that in the absence of having that, which is, um, is a good thing to, to strive yeah. for. Yeah. And then, you know, like with sports and stuff, I was a big athlete and that, I mean, that's something else too, but the, I've also got ulcers like orthopedic, you know, like my back is a constant, you know, it's like a constant challenge, you know? You know what you should do, Buck, is just watch football games 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> right? It sounds like that's effective. You know what I've been doing that I think it's totally random, but I, I have, uh, I, it seems to do something for me is like I'm, um, I've suddenly started reading um, books about like old athletes that I used to, or, you know, of, of sports or whatever that I used to watch when I was a kid. And it totally gets me absorbed. Yeah, isn't that interesting though? So, I mean, again, just like stringing together as many of those experiences for you as possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. All right. Well, I'm going to keep checking in on you. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, luckily this for us is, you know, these are first world problems and, uh, but they, they are problems that we have. And, uh, and I would also say though, that sort of cultivating consciousness is a global thing, right? So we're lucky to negotiate and wrestle with enlightenment and not, you know, if we're going to have food on our table. Right. I think there's a, collective effect when we can all sort of raise our self-awareness so yep absolutely and stay out of trouble at the ymca i will i will (laughs) (laughs) we'll be right back welcome back to the show everyone uh hopefully that was thought-provoking more than it was depressing i think it's really important stuff um and i do encourage you to you know do some kind of an exercise where you just you know at some point uh, decide that, you know, you're just going to for a minute say, okay, what would happen if I was gone? Like what would happen? What, what things did I not take care of? You know, obviously there's a financial aspect of that, you know, making sure your kids are okay, et cetera. But there's also like, you know, is there deferred, uh, you know, gratification things that you've just deferred too long, right? If you're in your fifties or whatever, and you're still deferring, maybe it's time to stop deferring and, you know, take, you know, do some of these things that you wanted to do or buy some of these things you want to buy. Right. Um, the other thing I want to do is I do want to emphasize on a purely practical perspective um, that when I thought it was all coming to an end, the only thing I could think about were uh, two things, really. I mean, were, they were my wife and kids and the things that I didn't do in my life. Right. I mean, those are really what they come down to. Now, in terms of the 
the wife and kids part. We talked about this uh, conversation on recent Wealth Formula Network call, which, by the way, uh, I think a lot of you would enjoy. And if you go to wealthformularoadmap.com, you can find out more about that. But anyway, we talked about this issue, which is the importance of you know these products like Wealth Formula Banking or other kinds of you know life insurance uh, investments. Now, these are incredibly powerful, and especially given the you know situation I was in. Um, they're not only powerful in terms of investing for yourself, but you're also taking care of perhaps the only thing that really matters to many of us, which is, of course, our families. I mean, the beauty of this kind of product is that you can really screw everything up, right? You can time the markets wrong. You can you know, invest in the wrong things. But if you have this, you know your family's not going to pay for your screw-ups. In reality, too, if you think about it, one of my biggest takeaways from this experience, and here's something for you to think about. If you overfund a banking policy for two and a half, three years, right, without even taking a loan out of there, which we talk about all the time, right, and double dipping, but say two and a half, three years, you don't take a loan, you guarantee because of the premiums will get paid for automatically from these things at that point, you guarantee your family gets paid when you die, even if that's not at a young age, even if it's your older, it just doesn't expire. This is an asset that goes on, you know, to the end of your life. And that's really powerful when you strip away things uh, to really what matters, like I, I kind of did in that ambulance ride. And what mattered to me at that point was insurance and, you know, taking care of my family and thinking, well, gosh, there was things I would have liked to have done or, you know, maybe enjoyed, which I didn't do. So anyway, hopefully you enjoyed the show. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.